Wow, so there's so much to, uh, so to kind of uh, set the stage for when we come into Matthew 6. We're in Matthew 6. I'm going to just continue with that today. Uh, I had so much fun. Miss Joel was supposed to be on today, but I stole it from her. I said, honey, I have so much more I want to say. <laughs> and I did not finish. And so uh, I got permission. Hallelujah. So Matthew 6, though. Matthew 6 is coming out of Matthew 5. So... Uh, I think that's part of what we want to keep in mind, and in Matthew 5, he's defining. Jesus is defining the kingdom of heaven. He's spending a lot of time on the kingdom of heaven, and part of what he's, what, what he's defining for us also is a deeper realm of righteousness, and I think he's helping us really identify uh, our identity in him uh, and in internal uh, transformation, not in external. So that's a lot of Matthew 5, and a lot of us know Matthew 5 for the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and, uh, and Joel went through a bunch of those, and I won't attempt. But then also he goes on into a, a deeper uh, kind of um, exegetical teaching on uh, the, the law, too, the commandments. So he says, you've heard it said, uh, don't murder, but I say, don't even be angry with your brother from the heart, right? Uh, and then he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even look on a woman uh, with a desire. So then, and he goes into this thing about, in Matthew 5, he says, your righteousness must exceed uh, or will exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, the reason our righteousness exceeds, and how many of you, your righteousness does exceed? This is the right answer. You can go ahead and put your hand up if you'd like that. Okay. <laughs> the, the reason is because uh, we're dependent on the indwelling righteousness that comes through the witness of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is leading us internally, so we're not so much measuring our life against externals, but internals, right? So in other words, uh, it, it's, it, it, we're not just s stopping or... or, or, or like arresting an outward behavioral expression, uh, the moment I sense uh, unclean thoughts coming in my mind, for instance, with ladies, uh, that, at that moment I have the power, the grace, the anointing, the presence of Jesus within to, to, to quench that, to say no to that. And so in that way, uh, there's, an, there's, a, there's a righteousness that we walk in. There's an internal rightness with God that exceeds uh, an outward regulation righteousness. And that, that's cool. How I many of you think that's cool? I like that. Uh, and it's not hard for us who know him, who are yielded to him, who are walking with him. It's not hard for us, by the way, to do this. Uh, amen. It can be difficult if we haven't quenched, dismissed, renounced, uh, uh, and driven out the unclean realm. That can be a little challenging. That's a different sermon. Uh, that was a different series, right? And so, but this is the context of, of Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, he's trying to define, and I think we go into Matthew 6 out of that. Uh, he's trying to define the kingdom of heaven for us a little bit and get us to understand. Uh, and he's introducing something brand new teaching that would live beyond his resurrection uh, and, and, and teaching that, that still is relevant for us today, uh, learning about the kingdom of heaven. We, we are citizens now of the kingdom of heaven, 
And Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Joel introduced that when she started the Red Letter Revival. Uh, th this kingdom has started already that one like the Son of Man, when he, when he resurrected, uh, he came up to the Ancient of Days, we're told, Daniel says, and that was the beginning of this kingdom. And this kingdom is an increasing kingdom, and we're a part of it. You're a child of the kingdom of heaven. Your citizenship comes uh, from the kingdom of heaven. Uh, your, 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 your provision, uh, your identity uh, comes out of this kingdom from heaven. Isn't that cool? So then we go uh, into uh, Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 5. He's, uh, he's promoting this idea that our identity is wrapped up in, uh, in the righteousness that now comes through him and by him. Uh, it's going to be a superseding righteousness. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 goes into the three areas that then the Pharisees, so if we move from or through the law into uh, other things the Pharisees trusted in, and not the Pharisees, but I believe starting at verse 25, he starts dealing with the pagans of the Gentiles as well. Uh, there was a trust in prayer, fasting, and uh, treasure. Uh, giving. Uh, and uh, so he's touching on those areas in Matthew chapter 6. Let's start at verse 1. Um, I didn't get past verse 1 or 2 last week, I think. That was it. So um, we'll jump in here. Verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And I like to emphasize here that he's talking about you'll have no reward from heaven. He's not talking about a reward in heaven. Hello? hello, You with me? So uh, I like that because I think God is a present tense rewarder. Uh, and it's not, just, it's not just what we're going to receive uh, in glory, but God is a present tense rewarder. And uh, so I, I like to think on that. Uh, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then going on, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. And I, I wanted to bring that to your attention. A lot of you have been using your trumpets lately. <laughs> Pharisee Cyrus will be serving at the Tacoma Rescue Mission 26 hours each day this week. but that's two hours more than there are in each day. That's how holy Pharisee Cyrus is. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were doing. I mean, you know, Joel and I had a fun discussion on that. It's like, did they, usually, did they really use trumpets? I mean, I actually did some research on this. Did they actually use trumpets in that day? Or was this the shofar? <laughs> Pharisee Cyrus, please come forward. Have you seen? Have, have you have you seen uh, Scrooge with uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Carey? What's his first name? So don't you love the Hoomeister stuff and all of that? Don't you love it when when the mayor of Whoville? How many of you seen this? Have you seen it? The Grinch, the Grinch, the Grinch, the Grinch. I got the movie wrong even. Jesus help us. 
How many of you have seen The Grinch? Who's the star? Who's the star? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Have you seen The Grinch with Jim Carrey? Hands up. Quit it. Stop it. Lord have mercy. All right, so, oh, several of you, okay. So those of you that haven't seen it, you have to see it because you, you have to see the mayor of Hoosville, Whoville, or whatever it is, you know. Jasmine can do this better than anybody in the whole entire house. You have to get your teeth, your lip above your teeth like this to look like you're from Whoville. You have to dry your teeth. Sophia, you got it? Ooh, I like it. All right. I mean, you, every time, you know, I mean, it's like, I, I, I don't know, it's just, it's so funny. If you just watch that, you will be healed right there of ever taking credit for your, for stuff, right? Uh, of ever seeking glory because it's just, it, it is, the satire on that in that movie is just hilarious. And so, you know, whatever was going on in this day uh, was kind of like that. When you give to the needy, he goes on here, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. They were not only doing this in the synagogue, they were doing it on the street. Of course, the secular and the sacred were so intertwined in Israel in that day. So, I mean, here, here they are making an, an open show, and it was to be honored. It says, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, that's a bummer. Whatever shout, whatever accolade, whatever praise, whatever whistle, whatever cat call, whatever, whatever happened from others noticing their, their good works, their giving, whatever it was they were doing, that's the end of it. That's their reward. Show up at the pearly gates. I was really hoping for kind of more of like a lazy boy recliner. Oh, no, you got your reward in full. Here, medium done, good and moderate servant. Enjoy this rough seat over here. I mean, you, I don't want that. Anybody want that? Come on, let's get the lazy boy. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And some have added, uh, rightfully in the translations, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. Now, I, I know that today we don't use trumpets. Uh, I grew up playing the trumpet, actually. Uh, as did uh, Mrs. Conley. Uh, and so uh, when I saw her years ago playing the trumpet, I was quite impressed. Uh, any other trumpet players in the building? Larry? Ron? Ron? Oh, yeah. I knew that about Ron because I've seen you play trumpet. Okay. Anybody over here? Trumpet players? So, we, you know, we don't use trumpets nowadays. When, but, but, you know, the emphasis here is on motive. Doing things to be noticed. Doing things for praise, doing things for position, promotion, or praise. And he says, he says, don't do that. When you give to the needy or when you give in general, whenever you're giving, and the context here is actually the use of money. It's giving and actually 
the, the original in the Greek would be translated best alms. It's almsgiving, which almsgiving is not so much tithing or offering, but almsgiving is giving to care for the needy. And so he's addressing this, but we can extrapolate from it as we have and people have over the years in the church any kind of giving, uh, not just almsgiving. But when you give, when we give, he says the motive. The motive shouldn't be for position, for praise, or for promotion. Yeah? Don't bring special attention to your works. Um, don't let people know uh, all that you've sacrificed, all that you've endured, all that you've suffered for the cause of Christ. Uh, just, just, just act like you haven't suffered one thing. And if you do, uh, and, and, and as you think about that, uh, by doing so, you are releasing, uh, igniting, enacting, uh, invoking uh, the reward from Father, the reward out of heaven over your life, which I think is pretty cool. Amen? When you give, he's saying, be discreet. Don't look for honor. Um, don't even praise yourself. This is what he means by don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this is where, <laughs> this is where the righteousness we, we have in the Spirit is a deep righteousness wherein we listen to the leading of the Spirit, right? And, and he's saying even, you know, guard your own heart even. Don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing when you're giving. Be so cautious, be so discreet, even inwardly so discreet that you don't even praise yourself. See what I just did? Boy, am I a good guy. Wow. I need the chair of chairs. Whoseville, look out. I don't think there's an S on it. But. Don't even praise yourself. Be so discreet you don't allow your left hand to praise your right hand. Don't look for any kind of honor, praise, or recognition. This is, this is the life of a Christian. This is... This is, uh, this, is, this is following after uh, our Lord and following after his own, his own example that he left for us. That the life of a Christian is giving but not needing to be recognized. We don't need our name on, carved on a brick. We don't need our name up in lights. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to be recognized. Amen? Now, I want, to, I want to deal with this a little bit because Christians have taken this text to mean maybe a lot of different things that aren't actually in the text uh, or actually the Scripture doesn't mean. So, and I've heard all of this in 36 years of ministry. I've heard all of it. Uh, this text does not necessarily mean only give in cash so that nobody knows what you're giving. I've been told that by the finest Christians on the planet. We only give in cash. Well, usually uh, Christians only give in cash because they don't want anyone to know how little they're giving. That's just a thought. Uh, some, <laughs> some feel like this text means uh, don't, you know, give in cash. Don't mark your gift. Don't let anybody know what you're giving. Uh, but at church, we don't praise you for your giving, at least good churches. At church, we don't post your names. At church, we don't pray to you before the congregation. Uh, at church, we don't make an open show of you. At church, we don't have special banquet seats uh, at the uh, who's who of churchism at the end of the year. 
so it's okay to just give uh, normally at church. Amen? Uh, some have said that this means don't let the government know that you're giving. Um, and I, I find that one to be humorous because we live in a government wherein our government has noted that if you make contribution to good causes, that they will reduce your tax burden if you'll do that. But they don't put your name in lights. You don't get a special banner in Vegas. Uh, you don't get like a special seat in Hollywood or Hollyweird at the Oscars. That, uh, just So some of these arguments are kind of odd because the government doesn't praise you nor celebrate you or publish your name in lights, but they do secretly recognize the benefit of benevolent people. Now, we live in a nation wherein, like, this is one of the only places on the face of the planet where your tax burden can be reduced if you secretly let them know that you gave secretly to secret causes. wherein those secret causes, those that you gave into secretly, will not even expose your secret giving because you used the large flappy envelope that they provided. And wherein each worker who counts your secret giving is sworn with blood, they leave a little drop, on the carpet each morning as they come into the accounting office to plan, to, to count it. Just having fun with you. It doesn't also mean that you should never have people lift their hands when giving or come forward with, when giving or that you should worry about embarrassing people over giving. It's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. It doesn't mean you should avoid all accountability in giving. That's not biblical. I can show you scriptures where actually, because some people weren't accountable, like Ananias and Sapphira, they died before the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean you can only give in or serve in secret. It just it's speaking about motive. It means don't give to be praised. Don't give to take glory in your giving. Just give out of a pure motive. Most of us in this room could do that. Give out of pure motive. Amen. Let's go on. Matthew six and five talks about prayer. Ms. Schultz thought I would like this passage, especially because it talked about prayer. So she thought I was actually going to get excited about verses 9 through 11 about prayer, but actually I'm not. I like this because it talks about the motive of prayer. The motive of prayer. Have you checked your motive for prayer? Sometimes, especially I think in charismatic circles, we can get wound up in a kind of an odd motive in prayer. Because we can pray the group through, or we can pray ourselves happy, or we can preach pray. You ever preach prayed? Preach pray is where you actually incorporate theology in your prayers so others can learn theology while you're praying. You're actually, you're actually not so much praying uh, to, you're actually praying to teach. You're actually not praying to, now if you are a parent, you do this quite often and you're good at it, praise the Lord, and I bless you. Your praying should include little theology lessons as you pray. Yes, you, you soon-to-be parents, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When you pray, verse 5, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And by the way, it's interesting 
that they loved to pray on the street corners. In other words, they could get the attention of a double street if they prayed on the corner because they'd get them coming this way and coming that way. And the Pharisees loved also to go into prayer at the hour of prayer, and there were several Jewish hours of prayer, Hebrew hours of prayer throughout the day, uh, that no matter what they were doing, they would strike a prayer posture. So if they were out on the streets, if they were in the market, if they were selling goods, whatever they were doing, they would immediately, boom, rum. Do any of you have one of those clocks that talks? Oh, those clocks that talk. Oh, my goodness. Grandma Phyllis, you know, recently, she's with us today. Uh, she recently uh, bequeathed upon us one of her talking clocks, right? Ding, 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 ding. It's 6 p.m. You're going to get six, you know. Well, how many of you know in the morning if it's 5 a.m., you're going to get five of those things? Boom, 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 boom. Grandma Phyllis, I hate to tell you this, but when you bequeath that to us, just temporarily, I put it in the garage. <laughs> but the Pharisees, the Pharisees, when it, when it hit the hour of prayer, just like a good Muslim, oh, holy Yahweh, and they would do that quite loudly, and they would do it to strike attention. And I know there aren't a lot of us caught up with this, but I think in our own way, our own prayer circles, our own biblical relationships and church relationships, we do have to be careful. And nobody can tell you that you've crossed over a boundary because you will know in your heart. Essentially, you'll know in your heart that you're praying to get attention, you're praying to teach, you're, you're praying to be spiritual, you're praying to be holy. Or after the prayer meeting, you're taking too much glory over the mountain you move through the prayer. And so what he's saying is that that's, that's kind of hypocritical. Any time that you pray and you've attached some kind of external reward to it, and again, all the way through here now, you know, we move from the law in chapter 5, we move to other things that Pharisees do. So fasting, that's coming next, prayer, giving to the needy, other things that... that that, that we can do, wherein we're kind of counting ourselves righteous, worthy. We're deriving our self-esteem from it, our value from it. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't attach any longer. No longer attach your identity, your worth, your value, your self-esteem to your externals. And if you disconnect all of that, your worth, your value, your self-esteem, your righteousness, if you disconnect that from externals, then that might shift the way you feel compelled to pray. You might not have to make a show of your prayer. Is that all right? Then he says, truly, uh, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, this doesn't mean you can only, you know, again, clearing up theology. This doesn't mean you can only pray in closets. The emphasis here is motive. Again, all the way through, it's motive and it's identity. Understand your identity is now wrapped up 
in who he's made you to be. He's made you to be a son and a daughter. You've come into this brand new kingdom. There's a brand new way of understanding identity, and it's not through externals. And, and so it's okay to pray in secret. It's, a, it's okay to have no reward at all from leaders over you, from those that notice you, from others who see you. It's okay to have no reward at all because your Father will reward you. Father will reward you. So when you pray, go into your closet, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who's seen, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, just because Father knows what you need before you ask Him doesn't mean you don't ask Him. But you don't have to wear him out, so to speak, right? Uh, with re repetition is the idea. And uh, the, the idea of, of the allusion here to, to paganism uh, is meaningless repetition. Babbling. It actually, the word there uh, relates to the word babble. It's just a babbling uh, without true heartfelt expression. Jesus says in, Matthew, in John 4, 35, uh, those who now come to me will come uh, and, and they will pray with spirit and truth. So God wants the real you. He really likes the real you more than anything. Isn't that cool? Uh, let's jump to the next part of this. And uh, the next part is fasting. And I'm going to skip through the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay? Verse 16, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. Now, that doesn't mean they put on makeup. It's just, you, you know, you know what it's like to disfigure your face, you know, if you're kind of like needing attention. Here you are coming in. The front door is a church. What's up? How you doing? <sighs> fighting through, fighting through. <sighs> well, that's, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. What, what? <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, you look like you're really bummed out. Are you going through something? Yeah, I want a big fast. I'm fasting. Fasting for a breakthrough. <laughs> Whoa, you're really sacrificing a lot. Oh, you don't know. I mean, this is bad. It's bad and getting worse. I'm bent over like this because my stomach's actually touching my backbone. <laughs> if I straightened up, you'd see it. But I got a little pillow in here, so nobody will know. No way. How many days have you been fasting? 37. <sighs> All right, so... When you fast, now, what's interesting here, he's actually inferring you're going to fast. It's normal for Christians to fast, actually. Fasting is powerful. Fasting is rich. Fasting is spiritual. Fasting is worthwhile. But he's saying when you fast, don't, don't let anybody know. Don't let it. Be careful 
that you don't purpose to let anybody know. Be careful that you don't let anybody know for the sake of them knowing, for the sake of attention. Now, he's not saying, don't sign up for the Daniel fast. We're going to do that again in January, but don't let anybody know that you're going to be a part of that. No, no, this is all about motive again. This is all about motive. Don't let anybody know that you're fasting on purpose for the sake of gaining attention. Holy, holy, holy. I'm just bowing before you. You're on day 37. You are amazing. Oh, if I could only be like you. Don't, you know, don't. We aren't drawing attention to ourselves so that others will think we're amazing. So he's not saying don't don't be in covenant with others that are fasting. Don't sign up for the fasting group. Uh, don't let anybody know that you're fasting. He's just saying don't put on some kind of a phony face to get attention so that others think you're holy. Why? Because you've got an in internal identity already. I already called you holy. I already made you holy. I already gave you. I, in Jesus, in Yeshua, I made you a son. I made you a daughter. I have, I have already blessed you with an identity within that can't be increased or decreased by fasting. Is that all right? Okay, so then he goes on. Did I finish fasting? When you fast, when you fast... Uh, I don't know how this fits in. <laughs> when you fast, put oil on your head. Hair gel. Put on your hair gel. And I mean it. Shampoo appropriately so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. Please use your deodorant. It will only be obvious to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Okay? Let's go on to treasures. Now, here, when he goes into treasures, I think he shifts gears. I think he's been talking to the Pharisees all along, but I think when he, when he moves into treasures, he actually shifts his attention to the Gentiles. Now, the reason I say that is because, and Joel preached uh, already on verses 25 through the end of the chapter earlier on this month or last month or whatever it was, uh, so I won't belabor that, but... But when he starts talking about stuff uh, and the whole, this whole section on stuff and treasure, he says, this is what the Gentiles run after. This is what the pagans run after. This is what those who don't know me as father, this is what they run after. And so I think he's shifting the attention. And so there's some relevant material here for us that I think uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily get the fasting, prayer, almsgiving, and the Ten Commandment thing real well because we don't come out of a Jewish history. Uh, but we get treasure really well. Donald Trump gets treasure really well. We've, you know, we rejoice, uh, maybe some rejoice or some have noted or some have taken note that Donald Trump is uh, kind of a tough guy, you know, uh, on some of these things that uh, maybe uh, have been good decisions. Okay? And I've heard people talk about that. Um, and that he's kind of, you know, maybe isolated. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this is not an, a Trump endorsement. 
but I'm talking about a security that comes through wealth. And so some have you know, noted that, um, that this strong position that he has sometimes uh, comes out of having a lot of wealth. And so that's part of what he's going to address uh, through the rest of the chapter is the security that can come or the sense of righteousness, uh, rightness, uh, worth, value, esteem uh, that can come out of wealth, out of treasure. Uh, so let's read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin... I'm reading of the NIV. That's the NIV. Vermin. That's kind of crazy. Destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, and, and you might, you, you, know, you might think of that as it that your treasure then is interrelated to your sense of identity. And looking at this a little deeper, uh, I went into the interlinear of the Greek, and it's interesting. This is what the interlinear of the Greek says, and actually uh, Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation actually pulled this in out of the Greek, and I, he did fairly well with it. But here's what the, the interlinear says. Um, Know ye be placing into morrow, be ye hoarding. Did you get that? <laughs> Don't be hoarding stuff with regard to the morrow. Fits into Joel's uh, uh, plea to us this morning that we empty our closets. And, and the appeal here is interesting, though. Uh, the appeal is that we don't that we don't hoard, uh, and the translators have chosen treasure that we don't hoard, and hoarding comes to a comes out of a fear of tomorrow. But he's relating all the way through this fear of tomorrow and hoarding. He's relating it to again our identity and our security. So, the the interlinear of the Greek, the the interlinear translation, don't be. Don't be hoarding into tomorrow. Um, and then it's interesting, though, because when it goes on, then it says, um, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, and that in the Greek says, but rather um, treasure what heaven treasures or hoard what heaven would hoard or or. You know, shift your thoughts toward that which heaven values. Uh, Robertson, who's a Greek scholar, and he's written the, the Greek word pictures, uh, he's translated this, treasure not, treasure not for yourselves, treasures. Treasure not for yourselves, treasures. And... And I think this is all tied to uh, our identity. What's our identity wrapped up in? Is our identity wrapped up in treasure, or is it wrapped up in God and who he says we are and the righteousness he's given us, the sonship 
that he's brought us into, what is our identity wrapped up in? Because if our identity is wrapped up in treasure, then it's very hard to part with any treasure. Parting with treasure is like parting with my security. It's like parting. And this is why I think when the rich young ruler, remember that text? The rich young ruler came to Jesus. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. and, uh, And Jesus notes, you know, they have a conversation and Jesus notes his righteousness. He had a righteousness by way of externals. And then Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and give. Sell some of what you have and go and give. The reason that Jesus brought attention to his stuff, and it says, and we don't know what he did, but, it, but immediately it says, and he left offended. It offended him. And the comment the Lord made is that it's hard for a rich person to come into the kingdom. He didn't say it's impossible, but it's hard. Because you have to shift. Riches want to mark you with an identity of worth and value that is, that is an alternate identity. It's an alternate like God. And this is why he goes on to say in this text, we can't serve, you can't serve both mammon and God. And the idea is not just serving, like to follow, like to obey, but the idea is you can't just trust in, you can't trust in both. You're going to trust in God to be your source, God to be your identity, or you're going to trust in your treasure, the treasure you've amassed, the treasure you're bringing in, the, the, the increase of treasure, your success in the realm of life and treasure. Either you're going to let that mark you and you're going to hang on to that and your security is going to come out of that or you're going to trust the Lord. And if you trust the Lord, you can still have treasure because the Lord has become your treasure. And if you trust the Lord, you find yourself not hoarding and worried about tomorrow. And that's where he takes us next, right? In the passage where he's going to go with this thing next is he's going to talk about why do you worry about what to eat and what to drink and where to sleep and what to wear? Don't you know all the pagans, all the Gentiles run after this stuff, but your father knows you need all of this stuff already. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, a right relationship with father. Seek that internal, that internal mark of God on the inside of you, and all that stuff will be taken care of. All that stuff will be added unto you. You remember this? We okay? Treasure what heaven treasures, he's saying. Treasure the treasure of heaven. Don't hoard into the morrow. Don't hang on to stuff as if stuff is your identity. Now, here's what he's not saying. I want to say what he's not saying because this passage has been used by Christians and preachers and some of the finest preachers on the planet uh, for years to say some things I think he's not saying. Because if we don't look at the actual rendering of the Greek, and if we don't dive a little deeper and we just read this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, then every one of you are actually convicted of sin this morning. So then constantly you have an inner turmoil within you. Why do I have a savings account? Why do I have a 403? Help me. Thank you. 
Why do I have an annuity? Uh, wh- why? Wh- so am I in sin if I, if I set aside some savings? How many of you have a savings account in the building? Only 10 of you will identify as sinners. The rest of you are liars. So we read this scripture and we're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what the Lord meant, but I guess I'm in sin. What did he mean? And so we have to read scripture in the context of Genesis to Revelation. We have to look at this and then we have to then look also deeper into the actual meaning of the Greek. And we realize he's not saying don't have a savings account and don't store up money. He's saying don't treasure your treasure but treasure the treasure of heaven. He is not saying don't set aside or save up money. He's saying don't hoard out of worry and fear into tomorrow because you've wrapped your identity around stuff. Rather, wrap your identity around me, and then you can freely give anytime you need to give. Then you can walk out, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6, that, that you can sow freely. You can give. Paul says, I just, want to have a, I just want to have this liberty, this grace about me. I want you to have this grace about you that you can give at any time to any need that shows up in front of you. Well, how are you going to do that if you don't have something set aside? Right? So that's what he's saying. Don't put your trust in things. Don't hoard. Don't stockpile. Let's go into Matthew 6, 22. Can we wrap this up? going to go fast. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, this is the NIV. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness, and then even the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? The New American says, if your eye is clear. The NIV says, if your eye is healthy. The King James is actually a better rendering of the Greek. It says, if your eye is single. If your eye is single. The word in the Greek it's actually a word that is used further for marriage. If your eye is single, if you are singly betrothed, if you are set, this is the one I'm single on right here. If your eye is single, you're not looking out here. You, if your eye is single, if your eye is set upon your provider, the one who's given you identity, the one who's marked you with righteousness, the one who's, if your eye is single on your love, the love that you have from above, Jesus then it floods your whole being with liberality, with grace, with the ability to give. So the, the idea here is single. And uh, it actually, it's a lot like James chapter 1, that a, that a diseased or an unhealthy eye gives you double vision, gives you a double mind. And he's saying, if your eye is, if your, if your heart, it's a metaphor. The eye here is a metaphor. If your heart is one and, and your, your heart is set on him, and if he's your treasure, then your whole being is going to be full of light, and you're going to be able to be, have this gracious life. And then he goes on. Is that all right? 24, for so no, no one can serve two masters Either you will hate the one and despise the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's stand. What's the ROI? What's the ROI? Let's stand. What's the ROI on the supreme ROI on your life? 
is the, is the, is the return on investment, the, the highest return on investment, ROI. Everybody say ROI. Is the highest return on your investment the reward of the Lord or the reward of monetary treasure and profit? If the highest ROI on your life is monetary reward, then when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to open your home this weekend, or I want you to, I want you to go visit that family, or I want you to run to the hospital, or I want you to have a Bible study, or I want you to run over to Africa on that mission trip, or I want you to, when the Holy Spirit's trying to lead you to do something, if it harms you economically, then the harm economically is a harm to your self-esteem, your worth, your value, the way you're inwardly measuring your value is going to be harmed if you do that because it's going to cost you something to do it. It's going to harm your treasure. If it harms your treasure, and that's where you put your ROI, then can you even follow the Lord? That's why you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. You're either going to love the one or... And, and when the Holy Spirit says to you, uh, when the Holy Spirit says to you, well, I'd really like it if you do this right now, then it says, if mammon has become your source of identity and security, then you will despise God. You will despise what he just said. Oh, man, I knew you were going to do that. Oh, that makes me so mad. And so then you find your heart drawing away from God. I'll go to heaven, but I don't want to walk with him while I'm on earth. And he's saying, no, 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 no. No, knit your heart to me. Let me, let me be, let me be. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just seek first the kingdom, if you'll seek that right relationship of walking with me, I know you need stuff. I'll cover your bills when you get back from Africa. I'll take care of your house, even if they hurt it during small group. I'll strengthen you and encourage you, even though you've spent some time doing ministry. Even though you gave up working today or running your business to do the thing that I ask you to do in helping that family, I'm more than enough for you. I'm sufficient for you. I know that you need stuff. Trust me. Trust me. Put me first. Let me be your ROI. I will reward you. I will reward you openly. I'm not just going to reward you in heaven. I'm going to reward you from heaven. I'm going to reward you from heaven. Your father who sees you do this with a right motive toward you, him, he's going to reward you from heaven. Amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the auditorium. Lord, we ask you right now to just examine our motives, clean up our hearts. Brood over us with not only the the restoring of a right heart toward you and a purified motive. But, but also, we just say, let the spirit of faith come upon every one of us. The spirit of faith, the spirit of hope, that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, please you, walk with you. The writer of the Hebrews said it rightly. You are a good daddy. You're a good rewarder. You're a good papa. We can trust in you. We can do things without seeking reward and know 
that it captures your heart. It brings you pleasure. We can follow after your spirit. Our chief ROI is in you, and we repent right now of making the choices, decisions that said to you something other, that said our ROI was actually in following after treasure. We repent of that right now. We repent of that right now. We, we renounce right now behavior, internals, thoughts, wherein we've thought, wherein we've allowed, wherein we've agreed that our identity was in treasure. And we say right now, our identity is in you. We agree, we agree, we agree. Our identity is in you. Our worth, our value, our future, our success, our fruitfulness. Everything about us is wrapped up in you, wrapped up in who you've made us in the sun, wrapped up in the sonship we have in you, wrapped up in that you have the, the, the tomorrows covered. We don't need to hoard into the tomorrow because you have tomorrow covered. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. God bless you. Let's worship as we close this morning.
Thank you. 